Right now, Godzilla is out there and he's hurting people, and we don't know why. Godzilla is a metaphor for nuclear annihilation. Godzilla is a metaphor for climate change. Godzilla is a metaphor for toxic masculinity. Godzilla is my dad? Godzilla is... Wait, what did you say, Dave? This is Galaxy Brains, and today, it's Godzilla versus Kong versus us. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, a podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave's friendly work acquaintance, Jonah Ray. Each week on the show, we start with the logical brain, advance to the critical brain, question everything with the interrogation brain, and of course, arrive to the blessed state of the galaxy brain. Today, we're going ass deep into the hollow earth to talk about the kaiju throwdown of the century, Godzilla vs. Kong. And our co-pilot for this fantastic journey is MonsterVerse expert, criterion essayist, and author of Godzilla vs. the World, Steve Rifle. But first, let's rumble with Godzilla vs. Kong. Okay, guys, spoiler alert for this entire episode. We're talking about the movie, so uh, close your little ears if you haven't watched it yet. Godzilla vs. Kong is not just two hours of Godzilla and King Kong fighting. It's actually a lot more than that. This is the fourth film in Warner Brothers' MonsterVerse and the first one to unite these iconic characters in an American studio blockbuster. There can't be two alpha titans. They should have called this Godzilla and Kong versus Mecha Godzilla. You don't think that's too many words for a poster or a marquee or a TV guide? I don't think so at all. I mean, it worked for Dr. Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Sure, I guess, but... Uh, it also worked for uh, Miranda July's Me and You and Everyone We Know. Okay, that's great, but... Uh, and it, it totally worked for Precious based on the novel Push by Sapphire. I mean, those are all great okay, examples. Okay, I get it, I get it, all right. The movie is less about a conflict between our two favorite titans and it's about a rich and evil beta male's effort to eradicate the new alpha, Godzilla, with a giant Godzilla-shaped robot. The Avex Titan of my own hand. <laughs> a tale as old as time, Dave. Will they ever learn? They might not, but we will learn all about the nuts and bolts of Godzilla vs. Kong in a little segment we call Critical Brain. The movie is less about a conflict between two giant monsters and more about, you know, uh, podcasting and a little child with no parents or any sort of adult supervision whatsoever just roaming around the country stealing cars. That's what it's about? Essentially. To be clear, my brother can never know we took his van. An industrialist for this company called Apex is creating a Mecha Godzilla. And Godzilla somehow with his lizard brain, figures out that they're making this robot to destroy him. So he starts attacking these facilities. Well, that upsets the entire planet who thinks, oh, Godzilla's on the rampage again. I thought he was a good guy. Now he's a bad guy. This is a classic wrestling heel turn. Eventually, there are some fights, and uh, there can be only one, except there isn't. They, they, they have a truce at the end, and Godzilla swims. He slithers back into the ocean. Did I miss anything? 
Okay, Jonah, let's have it out about Godzilla versus Kong. Did we like it? Was it a great movie or was it more of a Badzilla versus Long? You like what I did there? Do you feel like this is a movie that you would revisit again? I did enjoy watching the movie. I, you know, I've watched it twice already. I think it's fun and it looks cool and it's uh, exciting. The plot is kind of crazy and convoluted and it doesn't matter because you're just there to see, you know, two classic monsters duke it out. I guess that's the frustration the people who didn't like this movie have is that it's not about the people. It's not about a story per se. It is just kind of getting us where we need to be, setting the chess pieces on the board so that we can have these two big fellas uh, duke it out. That's a classic old monster movie uh, trope anyway. You know, you got the kids who care about the monsters more than the adults, and then you you just get to see them go at it. I don't need an emotional story arc in this. I'll go to other movies for that. I'm not going to go to a movie called Godzilla versus Kong and then just kind of go, mm, wish it was more dramatic. Let me ask you a question, Jonah. Did you watch Power Rangers when you were a kid? I sure did. I sure did, yes. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you one thing that happens in any episode. Exactly, right? I hardly remember the, the characters' names. And I think that that is frustrating for audiences that are accustomed to big emotions and character arcs and stuff. You're still getting great performances, though. It's a, you know, you're still, you still care about because they got great actors. I think Millie Bobby Brown, like in a few years, she should do a remake of Die Hard where she plays the McLean character. I think she would be an amazing, amazing action star. I think Brian Tyree Henry might be uh, my new favorite actor, just seeing that he could play Paperboy and this podcasting character. Okay, I got to ask, Jonah, is our podcast better than Brian Tyree Henry's character's podcast, which is called... Uh, creatively enough, the Titan cast. Welcome back, loyal listeners, to Titan Truth Podcast, episode 246. Yeah, he is as if uh, Alex Jones was a one-issue podcaster. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Uh, podcasting in 2021 is a very popular plot device, and uh, why is that so popular? Why are there so many podcasters in movies? If it's the Halloween remake, if it's this, the Mighty Ducks reboot has podcaster characters. It's not a sexy job. It's just a job. It's funny. Were there this many movies and TV shows uh, where people were radio disc jockeys? It's like, was there like a, a whole bunch of that going on back in the day where it's like, well, you know, it's, it's a kid and he, uh, of course, uh, has his own radio show. He also fights monsters. That podcast is filling your head with garbage. You should be in school. Yeah, maybe there are. Maybe maybe this is just the, the new updated version of a way to get someone given monologues all the time. Well, you know what? I, I got to say thank you to the makers of Godzilla vs. Kong for shedding more light and giving more respect to our humble profession. I would love it if they kind of pulled back from his podcasting table and it was like that scene in What Hot American Summer where you realize none of the cords are plugged in and he's just alone <laughs> in his basement talking to nobody. I would enjoy that too. There's a lot of conspiracy theory chatter in this movie through that podcast that we're talking about. People know about these monsters. I'm certainly tired of conspiracy theories. I'm sure you are too. Is there something that's being said in this movie about our obsession with conspiracy theories? It can't be a conspiracy if you're just literally seeing these monsters show up. But I'm sure there are still, there's people where they didn't show up and they're like, I think it's fake. I think they faked the whole thing. It's like, you know, there's some guy at a bar in Iowa going, it's computers, <laughs> you know. They just, they make it all up with computers. They drop a bomb. They put a serum. They get the boron. They convince people they saw monsters because of what they see in their dreams. And then all of a sudden, boom, bam, bang, lizard people are still running the government. Come on, it's all about patterns and variables. I want to drill down to the symbolism of this movie. We're talking about 
the conspiracy theory stuff and if that's satirical or if that's making a point about something. But Godzilla historically has always been about making points about stuff all the way back to the original, which everyone agrees is an allegory about nuclear annihilation and and the Japanese response to the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. What do you think this movie is about? This is this is the 21st century. Godzilla isn't really about nuclear annihilation anymore because we don't think about that stuff as much. So what's going on in this movie? This is the kind of thing where there's probably an idea the writer had, there was probably an idea the director had or the company and then the studio is just like big monsters fight. And I think that even though, you know, Godzilla very much known as nuclear annihilation, but like what we take from it, it's up to us. Godzilla can mean different things, but what it means in this one, I don't know. I liked it when they punched each other. All right, let's be honest, Jonah. People didn't tune into this movie on HBO Max or go to the theater because they wanted to see a bunch of people yip yapping about climate change or whatever. They want to see two monsters fight each other. Who do you think won? The movie doesn't declare a winner, but I think we on this podcast have a duty and a, and a responsibility to our audience to declare a winner of Godzilla versus Kong. Kong bows to no one. Godzilla really was able to just hand it to Kong. Kong is great, but Godzilla is the king of the monsters. Yeah, if I was scoring this fight boxing style, you know, the third round uh, certainly seemed to go Godzilla's way. That said, Kong is kind of like, he's like a John McClane-esque diehard kind of character, like a tough guy, dislocates his shoulder during this fight and pops it back into place like a true badass. But Godzilla puts him down. Godzilla shows mercy to Kong, therefore making him the uh, the bigger man. I don't know what other term to use. The bigger uh, lizard. The lizard. The, 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 bigger, the, the lizard. bigger lizard. Yeah, I mean, he's he shows a lot of mercy. I think that's great. From a moral standpoint, Godzilla wins every time. He's kind, he's respectful to his friends. He always gives back to the community. Uh, granted, when he destroys a city, he does leave it to us to clean up. But hey, you know what? My three-year-old does the same thing. You know, I, I have a I have a Godzilla tattoo. I didn't know that. This is well, you bury the lead. Yeah, I have a Godzilla tattoo. Uh, I got it a few days after my dad passed away, and it was an, a design that I always really really loved. And there was this tattoo, a design by Shintaro Kago, who is a great illustrator out of Japan, and he has this design of Godzilla holding his snout closed with his hands, and there's an explosion coming from his stomach. Basically, it's Godzilla committing suicide. And it's something that like I thought was so funny and sad and messed up. When I saw it, I just felt like how I felt when I was a kid. And I was just this monster. I was taller than everybody in my family. I felt like an outsider, a freak. And it's not like, and I'm not a super fan. I've never seen them all, but like that's what I project onto Godzilla. He's just this being that's trying his best, but he's maligned and he messes up. He hurts people and buildings. And uh, I just, it's something that I think about a lot when I watch these Godzilla movies. Well, Jonah, I'm glad you brought up the tattoo thing and what Godzilla means to you and like how he symbolizes kind of being tall and, and awkward and feeling out of place because Godzilla means something different for everyone. But at the beginning of the Godzilla mythology, the first Godzilla movie, it's very clear what it's about. And everyone who is a Godzilla fan, uh, every Godzilla scholar says the same thing. The first Godzilla movie is about a nuclear annihilation. So 
what does Godzilla mean today for not just you, but for a broader audience? What can we learn from Godzilla in 2021 uh, in the same way that they uh, learned from Godzilla in the 50s? Okay, well, all right, check this out, Dave. What if Godzilla represents the collective rage and unchecked id of the internet? Okay, that's interesting. Go on. But what if also Godzilla represents social media gone awry and that we can't control our own worst impulses? I mean, that's true. I think there's a lot of meanness on the internet, Greg. Okay, what about King Kong? What does King Kong mean? Kong represents technology, which only exacerbates the situation. It just makes everything worse that Godzilla started. Ooh, ooh, okay. Ooh, ooh, that that hit my sweet spot. Dave, are you okay? Your nose is bleeding. I'm fine. No, no, no. My nose bleeds. Anytime someone says something that sounds smart. Oh, no, that's pretty normal. Okay, well then snort this line of smart, Dave. What if Godzilla represents the global banking system and King Kong represents our eventual return to the gold standard? Dave, you're floating. Dave. I can see it all, Jonah. Godzilla represents... Everything. But by representing everything, he represents nothing at all. Oh crap, I'm galaxy braining! As soon as Dave is done levitating four feet above his covers, we'll come back to talk to Godzilla expert Steve Rifle. My transcendence is complete. My third eye is open. I've gone from a dumble caterpillar to a god-tier, borderline genius, Mothra-like creature. To bring me back down to Earth, we've recruited Godzilla versus the world author Steve Rifle to explain exactly what Godzilla is supposed to be about. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on this fantastic journey. Thank you for having me. The first thing I want to ask you about Godzilla is this is a very specifically Japanese cultural export yes. about Japanese problems and Japanese fears and anxieties. And that's what we're trying to talk about here is like the metaphor of what Godzilla really means. And I know original Godzilla is a metaphor for nuclear war. In the 90s, the American Godzilla reboot, I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean other than he was a really upset iguana. What do you think this 21st century Hollywood Godzilla really means? It means whatever the filmmakers, whatever they decide it means. Both, you know, Kong and Godzilla started out as these really, uh, I think, meaningful avatars of the, the culture and the time in which they were created. Kong is this great metaphor for nature and man's exploitation of the environment. And Godzilla is very specifically something rooted in the war and the aftermath of the war and the, the nuclear arms race. But yeah, today, I mean, what do these films mean? They mean that they cost about 10 or 20 times what the <laughs> Japanese films cost. <laughs> That's what it means, baby. It's about Money. Yeah. yeah, and so these movies were always commercial films, no, no doubt about that. It's really, I think, kind of fascinating because I think people must sit in story meetings and say, okay, you know, what metaphor are we going to attach <laughs> to Godzilla this time? Whereas the first movie, the metaphor was organic due to the experience of the filmmaker, Ishiro Honda, and, and members of his team. Uh, Honda had, had fought in World War II and had been a prisoner of war, but these films are kind of up to the whims of the day. And Godzilla versus Kong, what is Godzilla mean? What does 
Kong-in in, in these films. I mean, you could say that these uh, monsters represent uh, nature, but um, you know, the, the really baseline elements of these films, which is the monsters smashing each other and smashing the city. Well, as a kid watching these movies, I wasn't smart enough to be watching a Godzilla movie and go, this is about Hiroshima. No. Like, you know, I was just a kid watching monsters and there's something to this new one that really brought that back for me. Uh, where it was a lot of fun. And as a kid, I like really loved Godzilla because that's kind of how I felt growing up. I was taller by a foot than <laughs> everybody starting in the third grade. And I like was clumsy and I broke stuff and I knocked stuff over and my elbow would go into like, you know, like a, my friend's face because that's where we were <laughs> height wise. And I would see Godzilla like just trying to make his way across an island and he's just like knocking over buildings and getting in trouble. So you're saying Godzilla was kind of a clumsy oaf? I mean, sometimes it seems like I really connected with him at that level. There's that thing of where he's going through and he's knocking stuff over. I'm like, he don't know. He don't know Godzilla what he's doing. Don't know. Break. Godzilla don't know nothing. Yeah. What's interesting is like yeah, the idea of like, yeah, they were talking about this kind of heavy sociopolitical idea of the effects of radiation and war and occupation. And I was just going, I was just going, big guy, big guy <laughs> can't help it. Well, this new film, Godzilla vs. Kong, is a stupid film, but it's very, <laughs> no, it's, it's extremely stupid. I mean, it wears its stupidity on its sleeve, and you can't fault it for that. That's the smart thing about it, though. It's not trying to pretend to be anything more than what it is. And I think for that reason, the best of these MonsterVerse films are the other two, the previous two Godzilla films in this series, tried to attach these these other, you know, loftier ideas that just really didn't work. So, Steve, is it? fair to say that you prefer Japanese Godzilla films to American Godzilla films? The Japanese films primarily were about the monsters. You know, you hear Godzilla referred to as a force of nature a lot. And, you know, Japan has not only been through nuclear attack, but the country has been ravaged by natural disasters for hundreds of years. That's kind of where they're coming from when, when Godzilla kind of represents this unexplained force. And the movies were primarily about people reacting to that. And it's a very American thing to have to attach these motivations to these characters. And I think the, the, this new movie really goes back to, to what you were talking about earlier, those films that you enjoyed in childhood. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, uh, you know, people that bring up, they're like, it's like, why would they, you know, redo this movie? And it's, uh, I, I always ask them, I was like, have you seen the original Kong versus Godzilla? This is better. <laughs> I think it's a better version of that. Well, that that's interesting. The original King Kong versus Godzilla is uh, the most financially successful. It had by far the greatest number of ticket sales in Japan. The success of that film is largely responsible for the entire Godzilla franchise. That's when the Godzilla versus so-and-so series started. Why did King Kong get first billing in that movie? Because he was more popular than Godzilla at that time. That's the third Godzilla film, but Godzilla hadn't been in a movie for about seven years at that point. And there really wasn't any notion of a Godzilla series yet. And what happened was Toho acquired the rights to use King Kong. And it was based on an American project that kind of fell apart called uh, King Kong versus Frankenstein. <laughs> so when Toho acquired these rights, instead of using the Willis O'Brien concept, they just used the Kong rights and fitted him against Godzilla. And, and from a marketing standpoint, it was genius. So were they going to make uh, Frankenstein bigger or Kong smaller in order to make that fight fair? Yeah, I think the uh, the Frankenstein-ish uh, monster in that concept was going to be a little taller than, than the one we're used to. Well, Frankenstein is already kind of a uh, bio-Voltron of sorts. <laughs> I know there are some people 
And you might quibble with this, but there are people out there who say the American Godzilla films are about climate change. And I think that goes contrary to everything that you're kind of saying about what Godzilla is about in these movies, which is just having fun and just blowing stuff up. But do you think that there's any validity to that, that these movies have a similar effect to the Japanese versions, which were so much about people's anxiety about nuclear annihilation? Well, I I think when Gareth Edwards directed the first reboot in this series, I think he made a conscious effort to make Godzilla meaningful again. Uh, I don't know if it worked entirely, but, you know, the issue of our times is climate change. I think that's a valiant uh, thing to try to do. I mean, why not try to make Godzilla uh, more meaningful? You know, you can make the argument that since Godzilla is in the hands of its American caretakers now. I think you can make an argument. This is the different Godzilla. It's not like, you know, Batman and Superman, who are, you know, are probably two of our biggest uh, cultural icons that you can compare and contrast this to. But those are human characters, for one thing, but they also have this long lineage, a long history of literature. In that literature, the characters and the stories undergo numerous iterations, but there's a lot of things to pull out and to mine from. And even when you change the death of Superman so drastically, it's still recognizable as something that comes from, you know, the source material. With Godzilla, you really don't have that. Franchise from Toho has loose continuity, but there's really not a human storyline that goes from beginning to end or even from film to film. It's more of like a blank canvas in a way. And so I think the the American filmmakers have always been struggling to figure out what Godzilla means to us. Bear with me here, Steve. Let me let me let me give you a a theory. This conversation has turned my brain uh, even bigger than it was when we started this. I, I really feel like I'm connected. What if and you brought them up? So this is your fault. What if Godzilla and Kong represent Batman and Superman because it's the same story as the Batman versus Superman movie. Did you see that movie? It's the same thing. They fight each other to a stalemate and then they have to fight another monster. We're basically just redoing stuff. And Godzilla and King Kong represent American cinema and what we find interesting. And that's it. It's just they're Batman and Superman now. There was a joke going around that they would fight each other and pummel each other nearly to death until they both found out they had a, a mother named Mothra. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you say that name? It's his mother's name. There it is. It's his mother's name. Now you're speaking my language. Well, yeah, that's an interesting theory. But again, you know, it's it's this blank canvas. And um, I still think, you know, it's possible to come up with an interesting human storyline that parallels these creatures. These creatures are really interesting, you know. I guess they just decided this time that everybody just wants to see them fight, so we won't even try anymore. I will say that this film doesn't waste any time. It's called Godzilla vs. Kong. It opens with an uh, interesting King Kong scene in the dome. And it's taking always- a shower. We, this is the first yeah, ever yeah, Kong yeah. shower scene in the movie. I can't believe it's got a PG-13, considering how explicit that was. Oh, boy. The first uh, Godzilla attack. And again, that's something, if you're a fan of these films, you want to see Godzilla blow stuff up. You want to see Mm -hmm. Godzilla destroy a city. But anyway, you want to see Godzilla. I mean, Godzilla started off as the, if not a villain, then an adversary. 
it was hostile to humanity. And so you finally got a scene in this movie where Godzilla came on land and just blew something up and destroyed, if not a city, then at least a plant. Well, I think it's fair to say that we as humanity are the villains of these movies because we're constantly causing Godzilla to wake up and be annoyed and have to go kill another monster or something. And the real true villain of these films is Matthew Broderick. And we'll get into that in another episode. <laughs> but Steve, I just want to say thank you for coming in and reasserting my feeling that these Godzilla movies are about everything and nothing at the same time. And really, they're just whatever you want them to be. I mean, I see a lot of people really lambasting this new movie online and the folks in the know are ripping it to shreds. And I understand why, but I think it's become at this point unreasonable or why expect any more than this? <laughs> You're not going to get it. <laughs> this, is, this is what it is. It is Enjoy what it yourself is. for God's sakes for once in your life. Steve, I know you have a new book coming out that is about the origins of Godzilla and his humble creator. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about that book? It's called Godzilla vs. the World. It's a actual uh, selected political history about some of the things we were talking about, how these movies uh, often reflect things going on in the world and in Japan. And previously, I wrote a book with Ed Gazicheski. It's called Ishiro Honda, A Life in Film from Godzilla to Kurosawa. It's a biography of the director of the first film, and that's available on Amazon. Well, I am going to check those out because you have opened my mind to the wonderful possibilities of giant lizards destroying buildings. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining us today. Thanks. That was fun. Yeah, we'll see you again when we talk about the forthcoming Gamera remake. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Each week, we wrap up the show with a Galaxy Brain take from one of our listeners. Here's one now. Hey, so this is Akilah Hughes. Uh, I spent my weekend watching Godzilla vs. King Kong, and here are my complaints. I just feel like Godzilla's mouth is way too small for his body. He's this big sea lizard that's mouth-nuking an entire city and King Kong, and his mouth is, like, tiny. Like, I don't think that he could fit a burger in it, much less a basketball. Like, if King Kong just wanted to put, like, one finger in there, he could have stopped up all the nuking. That was one big problem for me. It's just, like, why do they design him like that? Like, just give him a bigger mouth. The other big issue for me was that in the city of Hong Kong, which is being destroyed by these titans, people show up to work the next day. Like, half your city gets destroyed by these huge monsters. They're stomping on people, cars, buildings, whatever else. Why are you going back to work the next day as if it's, I mean, I guess I understand. After the years that we've had with Donald Trump, it makes sense to me that people would just like sit in the misery and be like, it'll probably be fine. It won't. Stay home or like bounce, leave the city. You know, everyone knew that Godzilla was about to fight King Kong. There was no reason for you to be there. So like, it is hard for me to necessarily mourn your loss. But yeah, you know, just those two things. People should leave town and Godzilla's mouth should be way bigger. Well, here's the thing. If you don't show up for work the next day and keep the economy going, the Titans win. And we can't have that. Absolutely not. No, we have to keep this motor running. And more importantly, uh, I want to talk about the Godzilla mouth thing. Okay. Uh, you know why he's got a small mouth? Because he's got a sexy, sexy pouch. <laughs> and every model, every, every uh, beauty queen, they got a sexy pout. And Godzilla, he's got those little purse lips. He's kind of like Mick Jagger. You know, when Mick Jagger does that lip thing. <laughs> Godzilla does his little thing. And uh, it, personally, it's it's a real turn on. I love it. If you want to call in like Akila did, we'd love to hear your Galaxy Brain take on next week's episode. Our number is in our show notes. Give us a call and leave a voicemail with your take. But please, for the love of God, make it weird. That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brain. Hey, Dave, that was a lot of fun, but... 
Is it true that galaxy branding can be hazardous to your health? I don't know. I don't listen to doctors. That's why next week the blood will flow as we return to Outworld for the new Mortal Kombat film and ask the question, is Mortal Kombat better than Star Wars? Dave, I think you're chasing the dragon, and that dragon is galaxy branding. Don't you think you've had enough? I'll tell you when I've had enough. Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautam Trickishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches, and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant, and Russ Frushtick is the director of special projects. Special thanks to Andrew Melnzik, who helped create the show. Until the next time, I'm Jonah. And I'm Dave. Hit us one more time, Steppenwolf, so that you may go home. I saw my mistake. I slaughtered those who sought his throne.